we thank you for your son Jesus because of whom we can approach you confidently now. It is he who cried is finished. And so we cling to him as we come to you. And this evening, I praise you, God, as I stand here. I recognize your hand of work in planting this church here in Dubai. So praise God for covenant hope, Dubai. And I thank you for causing this church to grow. Thank you for the elders. Thank you for the members of this church. So I pray that you will fill this church with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that this church, your church, may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, whether it's in their houses, whether it's in the shop, whether while they're driving, whether it's in their office, in regard that they may grow in the knowledge of God. Father, I pray that the elders in this church would continue to faithfully work hard and equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. We pray that the members of this church would not hesitate to speak the truth in love to each other. God, that you would cause this church to grow in every way into Christ, who is the head, to whom belongs glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I want to do this evening is um, preach from Colossians 4, verse 12, um, and answer three questions as I preach with this verse. But before I ask those three questions, I want to read this verse for us. This is Colossians 4 and verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the first question I want to ask is, who is Epaphras? The verse reads that he is one of you, and since Paul wrote the letter to the church at Colossae, it's probable that he's a part of the Colossian church. If you look at chapter 1, verses 5, 6, and 7, it tells us that it was through Epaphras' ministry that the gospel took root in Colossae. He was an evangelist who brought the gospel to the city of Colossae. He saw people getting saved through gospel proclamation. And so this church is dear to his heart. The Epaphras is also identified as a servant of Christ Jesus in, in the same verse. A servant of Jesus is one who delights in serving Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has saved him from slavery to sin, he is now free to serve Jesus. And one way that Epaphras served Jesus was by sharing the gospel with the people in the city of Colossae. Now, when he is away from them in the prison with Paul, he continues to serve them, this time by prayer. 
Papa serves Jesus by serving Jesus' people, and he did that by praying for them. But friends, one of the ways we serve people is by praying for them. Friends, do you see your prayers as an act of service? We serve God's people when we choose to pray for them. When we take the time to thoughtfully pray for our fellow brothers and sisters in the church, when we ask God to help them, when we ask God to speak to them, to give them strength when they are weak, to help them grow in their faith, and when we ask God to protect them from foolishness and from sin, and to make them look more like Christ, we are serving them. When we pray to God on behalf of people, we are serving God's people. I want you to look around for a moment, and do you see the people with whom you have covenant? Those people to whom you committed yourself saying that you will not neglect to pray for them and ask yourself now, have I served them by praying for them? I want to encourage you guys this evening to serve your fellow brothers and sisters by praying for them. We assist them and we care for them by praying to God on their behalf. And one way you can do that is by taking up the membership directory. Read the church covenant and then remind yourself of your commitment to pray for one another. So take the membership directory and the Bible, read the Bible, and pray for your members consciously and regularly. Let the scriptures guide your prayer. Husbands, we serve our wives well when we pray for them. Wives, you can serve your husbands regularly by praying for them. For parents, one of the ways we can serve our children is by praying for them. Members, one of the ways you can serve your elders is by praying for them. I need prayers. Elders, one of the ways you can serve the congregation is by being on your knees on their behalf and pleading to God for them. Know that you serve people when you pray for them, and Epaphras serve the church by praying for them. So that's my first question, who is Epaphras? The second question is, how is he praying? Well, we know that he's praying, but how is he praying? Well, the verse reads, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He's, he's struggling, and as some translations say, he's wrestling. He's agonizing for people when he's praying. The word was used in military and athletic endeavor to emphasize the effort, the sacrifice, the discipline, the concentration, the conviction needed to pursue a goal. The picture is that of a runner striving hard to stay fit, 
to stay focused, to fight distractions, and he strains every muscle in his body to reach the goal. And interestingly, Paul uses that word in this context. Now, why would he use such a word? He could have just said, you know, Papas, your church member is praying for you and he loves you. But he says he's wrestling for you guys. And so in order for us to understand the use of the word here, we need to understand the context of the book. After the church was planted, it seemed like certain people had been speaking to the church members with persuasive words so that the church is now confused and challenged to look beyond Christ. What do we know about what these people have been teaching? So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses for us so that we have a clue about what these people have been teaching to the church members. Verse 4 of chapter 2. This is Paul writing, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. Fine sounding plausible arguments. The people outside the church used sound, good, and words that pleased human mind. It was well framed and attractive. They can be deceptive, but the church can be deceived into this. Verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. It seems like these talks, these random conversations, can have a controlling effect on Christians. They depend on human reasoning, earthly stuff. They're not based on Christ. Verse 23. Although these have a reputation, these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body. You see that? Those words sound like words of wisdom, but they are not. They come up with human ways to fight sin. I'm sure you guys have heard of that. When you're angry, you count from 1 to 10. Slowly. <laughs> Slowly. Beaches of up so that the pain kills you pleasure for sin. Tell yourself that you can succeed. The future is in your hands. Think positive. Your success depends on what you tell yourself and what you think about yourself. Speak positive words to yourself, like I am good, I can change my life. Now I want you to see what Paul has to say and how Paul concludes this in verse 23, the last part. It says, they are, of, they are not of any value Incurring self-indulgence like zero out of ten. Well, actually, Paul meant minus five out of ten. No value. They don't have it in them to help you fight sin. The sin in us is so powerful that we need Christ, God to put it to death. We need God 
to fight sin, not positive thinking. You and I need Jesus because only Jesus conquered sin and death. And it is the life of Jesus in us that produces a hatred for sin and strength to fight sin. It's the life of God in us that helps a Christian fight sin, not the words of men. God has to help us, not men. The church at Colossae was challenged then by a culture that elevated human reasoning for life and success. And the wisdom of this world disturbs our souls and makes Christ look insufficient and inadequate for life. This is threat for the church. And Epaphras responds in prayer. He wrestles in prayer for his church members. This is battle. This is spiritual warfare because the culture that surrounds the church rejects God. And because it is under the influence of Satan, it will do anything, anything possible to divert, to discourage, and to distract Christians from Christ. Epaphras can't relax and be at ease when the church is exposed to Satan's attack. He chooses to fight for Christians when they're good before God. The, the wrestling, struggling language here is not about physical labor, but it shows spiritual intensity, earnestness, and zeal. And because he's concerned about them, there's spiritual anguish in him that drives him to God in prayer. And so he isn't struggling to pray. He's struggling in his prayers. The intensity of his prayers depends on the intensity of their needs. Their needs move him to God. He wrestles because they should not lose sight of Christ. They must see Christ. They must behold the glory of Christ. As Paul said in chapters 2 and 3, they must see the weight and the glory there is in their relationship with Christ. They have died with Christ. They have been raised with Christ. They have been destined to be with Christ. And because of Christ, they have this new life. And with this new life comes holy passions and an eternal perspective within us. Because Christ dwells in us. Christ is their life. How oh, the glory of Christ's presence in us. So they can deny what is earthly, the wisdom of man and temporal pressures, pleasures, because Christ's power is at work in them. They must not look away from Jesus. And so Papyrus would pray in the prison while he's with Paul, Paul, God, may their hearts and their minds set be fixed on Jesus. May they see Christ as their life. The sovereign God create within them a holy hunger for Christ. Jesus, may they trust you here on earth. May they trust you to do everything in them for earth, for the life on earth and future. They trust you. May they believe that your presence in them will uphold them and energize them till you return. May they find that the wisdom of this world is foolish, weak, and insufficient, ineffective to fight sin. May they keep confessing that Jesus is enough. 
maybe we'll try some. The Packers has been agonizing for them always, for persons, always, constantly pleading for them. And it tells us that he's being watchful, vigilant, conscious of the church's needs. That's a shepherd's heart right there. What does your prayer tell you about your concern or ours? We believe that we need Christ always. Does that affect how and what we pray for our fellow church members? How, how does an awareness of the culture we live in impact the way we pray for each other? Does that, does that make us want to fight on behalf of others in prayer? Do we struggle to pray for others or do we struggle in prayer for others? Well, let me share with you five reasons why we struggle to pray for others. One, lack of concern. Lack of concern. In Romans 12, verses 9 to 12, Paul writes, Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Be constant in prayer. So Paul says that your prayers are an indication of your love for people. Love for people will make us more concerned about their welfare. That moves us to pray for people. A praying person is a loving person. Two, sin in us. Sin in us. Sometimes we struggle to pray because we struggle with disbelief. We struggle to believe that God is able to change a person's heart. And God is not enough to move the person back to Christ. We are not patient, we want quick results. And so we don't pray for others. Prayerlessness is a sign of disbelief in God. Lack of concern, sin in us and perfectly sin between us. Unreconciled sin in a relationship can affect our prayers for each other. You know, when, when sin rules our hearts, we can't have holy desires for others. In fact, sin not only keeps us from God, it keeps us from each other. Lack of concern, sin in us, sin between us. Fourth reason. You're lazy. A prayerless person is a lazy person. He is unwilling to take time to pray for others. In Colossians 4, verse 2, Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being an alert. We don't like to commit because it requires us to sacrifice our time for others. The lazy person is comfortable not praying for others. He's comfortable with that. Fifth, 
We underestimate the enemy. Underestimate the enemy. Do you remember Ephesians 6 verse 10 to 20? When Paul talks about the armor of God, we read that the devil is at work and he's against any pursuit of God. He hates it when people follow Christ. He hates it. He will do anything possible to confuse Christians. And so what does Paul say in Ephesians 6? Pray. The enemy is strong. We need God to fight Satan. A prayerful person knows his enemy. So he prays. Well, friends, I want to encourage you to consider your fellow church members. Love them by praying for them. One of the things I, I learned from one of our former elders in the church, Philip Van Steenberg, whom some, some of you know, he taught me to pray for fellow church members and to write to them what you have prayed for them. The fruit that it bears. Write to your fellow church members what you have been praying for them. When your prayers come from a heart filled with concern, a heart that's burning for Christ-likeness in people so that they will choose Christ, they will follow Christ and make decisions centered on Christ. And if we don't have that kind of a heart, pray for our hearts, God. God, I pray that you would burden me with the things that burden you. Soften my heart to love others and to pray for them. And so as we behold the love, the glory of this love may produce within us a heart that sacrifices our comfort so that we are here battling for our fellow brothers and sisters, for their good, begging God that they will not take their eyes off Christ. The Epaphras loved the church and it was evident in the way he prayed for them. The third question. Well, what was the content of his prayer? Or well, what did he really aim at? It says that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Mature and fully assured. Well, Paul uses the word mature in chapter 1 and verse 28. We know that verse. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity is produced by proclaiming Christ. And although maturity here refers to the final day when we will all be perfected, free from sin, the process has already begun here. Christ is at work now, here on earth, maturing us, perfecting us before he finally and fully perfects us. But how does God work out our maturity here on earth? How does he do that? Well, through the proclamation of Christ. 1 and verse 28. But there's one more verse in this book that tells us another thing about maturity. And that's in 3 verse 16. We know that verse too. That verse is similar to 1 verse 28. Paul is saying that the church members should protect each other from being swayed by worldly wisdom. How? 
by teaching each other and admonishing one another in all wisdom and by allowing the word of Christ to dwell among them. This kind of conscious, regular, attentive care for each other produces mature believers in the church. So it isn't just proclamation of God's word. It's the members of the church reaching out to one another and allowing the word to bear fruit. So, what does Epaphras have in mind when he prays for maturity? Well, I think he's praying for faithful proclamation of God's word, but he's also praying for the church members to reach out to one another, to warn each other of the danger and the folly of looking to earth and ugly things, to encourage each other to live lives rooted in Christ. Why? So that they would not be persuaded or swayed by the things of this world, that their maturity would be evident in the resolutions and decisions to stay put, to hold fast, to cling to Jesus alone. According to Paul, maturity is a community project. And that's what it has for Islam. But maturity isn't the only thing that Epaphras prays for. He prays that they are fully assured in all the will of God. In chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul desired that the church may have full assurance that comes from understanding that God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And Epaphras is praying the same thing here, that the knowledge of God that comes through Jesus will give the church members conviction and that's what in all, the, all the will of God implies. God's will was that he reveal himself to us through Jesus. And only through Jesus can we come to know God personally. And so Epaphras' prayer is that this knowledge of God that comes through Jesus will give them total convictions to reject earthly wisdom. So here's the difference between opinions and convictions. Opinions keep changing. Not conditions. They come from God. You have a control of opinions. Convictions have a hold on you. And so Epaphras is, is praying that the church will stay convinced that God has revealed himself through Jesus and that was enough. And that such Christ-centered conviction will strengthen them to reject all that is earthly around them. So friends, what are your desires for your fellow church members? As you pray, do you ache for maturity in them so that your prayers are about your church members reaching out to other church members for the sake of maturity in them? So that when they are tempted by the culture of this world, their eternity with Christ, guaranteed by Christ, will give them strength to reject all that is earthly. Satan is persistent in his attack. Our enemy is strong and he wants us to take our eyes off Christ and look to ourselves. 
Our hearts are deceptive, and we need each other to help each other fix our eyes on Jesus. So pray, dear church members, pray for one another regularly and earnestly. Struggle in prayer for each other's maturity. Let your prayers be rooted in the Word. And that's what Epaphras did. He, he centered his prayers on all that Christ is. So make righteous, Lord-saturated, Christ-centered prayers for your church members. And so when you have someone who's suffering and going through pain in the church, you pray that you pray to God, asking that the cross of Christ may awaken within the struggling believer a hope in Christ. And that afflictions and distresses cannot separate him or her from the love of Christ. And for those of us who are married, pray, pray that we will remind each other, husband to wife and wife to husband, that our marriage is not about us, but it's about Christ. It's about Christ. And that God would produce compassion, forgiveness, and patience, and humility in our hearts for the glory of Christ. That when our children see daddy loving mommy, and mommy following daddy, they will have this glorious picture a mini picture, actually, of Jesus' love for his church. That as parents pray, pray that we will not find our identity in parenting. That as parents, we will be honest to recognize our own need for Christ before we tell our children that they need Christ. That as you think of the people outside the church, that the doctrine of hell and eternity in fire facing God's holy wrath and the mercy of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ would move us to those people around us and that we would plead with them that they would submit to Christ for salvation. If there's anyone seated here this evening and you don't know Christ personally, I want to tell you who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. Show us he God. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's over all. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. And by him, all, all things are held together, which means if Jesus takes his hand off, everything will disintegrate, including us. He's the head of the church, 
the first to be raised from the dead, so that he might have supremacy in everything. All of us have been alienated from God and hostile in our minds, expressed in our evil actions. But Christ, Christ has come to us. God became man, and he became sin on the cross, and he died selfless, joyful, submitting to the will of the Father, absorbed God's holy wrath against us. He died, and he rose again. And if you come to him now, and trust in him, repenting of your sins, you will be safe. Forgiveness is guaranteed to the one who comes to Christ now. The wrath of God awaits those who reject Christ. The presence of God, both now and for eternity, if we submit to Christ now. If you don't know this Christ, I will plead with you. Flee from your sins to Christ. For those of us who know Christ, brothers and sisters, Christ in us is the hope of glory. Let's pray. Thank you.